I invite you to open your Westover app. If not, you have your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter number 6. I want to speak on the subject, new life. I want to suggest, perhaps you have an appointment with a new life today. Now, I understand there could be some skepticism in the room because you've been sold technology and infomercial stuff and all of it promised a new life, a cream or a technology or something that was going to change your life and it didn't change your life. How about the ad? You know, pounds will melt off and eat anything you want. Anyone in middle age knows that that does not happen. Absolutely not. How about the advertisement of the hamburger? Have you ever noticed the advertisement of the hamburgers? The meat is bulging beyond the bun. But the one you get, somehow it shrunk. It just, the, it, it, it's, you, you can't already, you have to open it up to see if there's any meat in the burger. Why? They overpromise. So when I talk about a new life, someone say, I, I've been overpromised. But I'm going to suggest to us today, God's Word invites us to a new life and how we're going to get there. Wow. Join me in Romans chapter number 6. Now, as I set the setting for us, the context, Romans chapter number 1 through 5 is all about justification, salvation in other words. I could, I could say our mission statement, making new salvation, is chapter 1 through 5. But chapter 6, there's a turn in the book, and we move into a teaching, a doctrine that's called sanctification. So chapter 6, verse number 1, the transition goes from grace, 1 through 5, into chapter 6, sanctification, or we call it making great. Now, there is a doctrine that was prevalent in the Roman church and the Roman community that the Apostle Paul addresses. The doctrine of antinomianism. You don't have to remember that word. What is that? Antinomianism. What is that, Pastor? It was prevalent in the Roman church. Rome, the city of Rome, under the Roman culture was a very corrupt system. Very sensuous, very sinful. I mean, all kinds of immorality, drunkenness, uh, party life. That, that was the Roman way of life. And the Roman Christians began to adopt this doctrine, the concept of, well, God's grace covers it all. Jesus, the gospel speaks about God's grace, and God loves us just the way we are and accepts us just the way we are. To the point of... We're covered by grace. It doesn't matter how we live. This doctrine taught that you could have relationship without righteousness and God would accept that. So here in chapter number 6, the Apostle Paul dives into this teaching, this philosophy, this doctrine, and he begins to dismantle it. And he's going to dive into now the discussion of sanctification. That's a theological term. He's going to, our, our word for it at Westover is having a making great life, and he's going to dispel this whole idea. Let's begin chapter 6, verse number 1. Just follow along with me. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sitting that grace may increase? By no means. Just because God forgives sin doesn't give us the permission to go on sinning. We are those who have died to sin. 
How can we live in it any longer? He starts this discussion, and he's going to start calling us, believers, to a lifestyle of righteousness. Let's go on, verse number 3 and following. Or don't you know all who were baptized into Christ Jesus? Now, we're going to be talking about water baptism and the importance of water baptism. All who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Don't you realize that? We were therefore, pause a moment. We were therefore, anytime in the Bible you see a therefore, look and see what it's there for. In fact, anytime in Scripture when you see a therefore, draw an arrow. I have it in my Bible. Every time I read Scripture and there's a therefore, I draw a line under it and I put an arrow to the next statement because God is about to give us the point of the point. He says, we therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order, just as Christ was raised through the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live, here's the phrase, a new life. To live a new life. One version says to walk in a new life. To live a new life. Not to have the word new life on your refrigerator as a decal. Not just to talk about it. Not to just hope in it. You and I can have a new life. Now scholars believe this phrase new life. That the word new doesn't fully communicate what the original language is is intending. Which the Bible was written in. And that when they were translating it, there was not a good equivalent English word. And the idea of new here is just not new. It means newness. We don't speak in the word newness. And it really has the idea of newness and even newer. We, we wouldn't say that. I'm looking for a newness blouse and an even newer newness blouse. We don't use words like that. We, th- that's not in our vocabulary. So there's not a good English word that translates and conveys the thought that the Scripture is conveying here. The idea is that because we have, been, we have been buried with Him through baptism, the importance of water baptism, raised in the resurrection of His likeness, we therefore can live a newer, newness life, not controlled by the past, not held in the issues and the failures and the flaws and the mistakes of our lineage. We don't have to be caught up in the old junk that we always find in our life. We can live a new life. If, if I was going to convey it, we, we have a mission statement here at Westover, making new and making great. If I was going to embed this, making great, a new making great life, I really need to get Tony Tiger to come up here on the stage. You know, he says, hey, Tony Tiger, of his cereal. It's, he doesn't just say great. He said, it's great. I, I, I need Tony Tiger to come up here and say, we're in the business of making great. It's a greater great than you've ever experienced before. It's a new great. It's a newness of great. It's a great that goes beyond the old stuff. That's what God has for every one of us, a new life. Let's continue reading. We're not done here. Verse number five. For if we have been united with him in death, the death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It continues, it says, for we know that our old self, isn't that an odd statement, an old self? What does that mean? I'll tell you in a moment. Was crucified with him. So the body 
ruined, ruled by sin. Isn't that a weird phrase, the body ruled by sin? The, the, the New Testament uses a phrase like that, the, the body of death, the body ruled by sin. I'm going to explain to you what that means in just a moment. So that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I want you to look in verse number 6, the phrase, old self, body ruled by sin. With that, just be reminded what Ephesians 4 and 22 says. To put off, here's that phrase again, your old self. Hmm, we find it there. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9. Since we have taken off the old self. That phrase, taken off the old self. What does all that mean? I'm going to suggest many of us today don't really capture the depth and the richness of those phrases. But the, the believers in the Roman church did. They understood the moment the apostle Paul said, cast off the old self and the body ruled by sin, the body ruled by death. They knew exactly what the apostle Paul was talking about. For you see, the Romans, ancient Rome, had mastered the art of execution. The Romans were the ones that invented crucifixion. In the Roman world, you didn't just, you didn't just execute somebody they would exact an execution that was so torturous, so heinous, so, so brutal. It would strike fear in the hearts of everyone. No one would come against Rome. No one would challenge Rome because they would demonstrate in a public forum. If you did, this is the kind of death you would meet. And crucifixion, it was invented by the Romans, putting you on a cross, nailing you to a cross, and suffocating day after day on the cross. Birds landing uh, on your head and in gouging out your eyeballs and eating your eyeballs while you're alive. They invented the most gruesome form of execution, a torturous death. One form referenced here is referenced in the phrase, the old self or the body of death. That's what I want to talk to you about. And I'm going to ask Josh to join me here on the platform. And I, I'm, going to, I'm going to illustrate it for a moment. There's, it's better to maybe illustrate what actually happened. Now, Josh, he's going to represent for just a moment. Just stay with me. He's going to represent, this is what the Romans did, a dead corpse. And, and, and i got to say, uh, Josh, you're going to represent, as the Apostle Paul picks up, everything ugly in me. Everything Everything I don't like about me, my, my personality, my disposition, my selfishness, my self-righteousness, my temper, my, my issues, my habits, my lifestyle, all the, all the stuff that we know is sin and does not please God. Josh is going to represent that for us in just a moment because the Apostle Paul, the New Testament, picks up this analogy. What did the Romans do? If you were convicted of a crime, if you challenged Rome, they would select a means of death that would send a message to everything, to everybody. And one message they sent was in what's called the body of death. The criminal, I'm going to be the criminal, he would be tied 
to a dead body, a corpse. The corpse would be tied to the person shoulder to shoulder, back to back, limb to limb. The punishment of the criminal, that would be me, is I have to carry this dead body, this body of death. I have to carry it. I have to carry this body of death until the body actually kills me. The foul stench of rotting, decomposing flesh would fill the air. Maggots and larvae would land in the decaying, decomposing tissue and begin to consume the body of death. But as it did, it would begin to consume the victim's own flesh, my flesh. It would eat through that decomposing body. But the rot, the stench... The infection would be in my body. And they would eat all the way through the body of death and begin to consume the victims. His, his intestines, his, his body eating through into his lungs and just consuming it. It would become gangrene. It would become infectious. And the victim, me, the, the criminal, could never be untied for the rest of his days until Shortly thereafter, in the next few weeks, the, the stench, the, 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 the decay, the death worked from the dead body into the victim. And finally, the victim would die because he's carrying a body of death. He's carrying a decaying stench, rotting, decomposing body to the point it consumes him and he would fall under. Wherever he went, wherever he went. He had to carry, had to sleep with it, had to eat with it. Everywhere he went, he had to carry the body of death. That's what the Apostle Paul, thank you, Josh. That's what the Apostle Paul picks up on here. And he said that old self, that body ruled by death in sin, he said we're carrying it. Why? Because you Romans believe that you can have grace and be saved, but still carry in your own self your habits, your lifestyle, your attitude, your practices, your disposition, the old sinful self, and you're excusing it and say, God just overlooks it. Kind of sounds like the 21st century church, doesn't it? We think we can go to the club on Friday night We can speak in vulgarity. We can get on social media, lambast, spit out vulgarity. We can be hateful, prejudicial. We can think evil thoughts. We can watch, do, do anything we want. We can live a sinful life and say, guess what? Jesus just forgives us. His grace just covers it all. And we can just, God understands. And he accepts me just the way I am. And the Apostle Paul is saying... Grace forgives you of your sin, but God calls us to a making great life, a sanctified life where we take our old habits, our attitudes, the ugly attitudes, the ugly practices, the sinful way, and we cast it off. We have been freed. And he said, Jesus Christ took that to the cross. And I'm here to invite us to say you can have a new life. Don't let somebody put on you what Jesus took to the cross. That old habit, that old life, 
Don't let culture tell you you can live any way and it doesn't matter to God. God cares about us. And he says when we hold on to our sinful nature, we're actually destroying ourselves because we're carrying the body of death. And the scripture is calling us to total commitment. Total commitment. Commitment is loving God with our whole being. Expressed in actions and attitudes. Expressed in action and attitude. God cares about how I treat people. God cares about my attitude. God cares about my action, my behavior, my lifestyle. God wants my lifestyle and my attitude to be in alignment with Jesus Christ. And God has designed the Christian faith. It works best under total commitment. The reason some of us, we're not having the life, the new life that God intended is because we're an in-betweener, an in-betweener. That is to say, we come into God through grace, but we haven't stepped out of sin in our sin practice. We've excused it. We're living in between. We're not really free and walked away from it. We just have enough of God to just say, Lord, warm my heart. You know, I, 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 I want to have spirituality, but I just don't want to have total commitment to God. I want to believe some of the Bible. I just don't want to follow all of the Bible. I, I, I want God to stay out of my, my lifestyle. I'll choose what I think God is concerned about. And God, just help me with my problems, but stay out of my personality. Stay out of my life. We put these do not disturb signs in our life. And God is saying Christianity works best under total commitment. And some of us are trying to live the in-between life. And because we're living the in-between life, we're carrying the old body of death. And it's working death inside of us. When I was a boy at home, I was probably uh, probably 11, 12 in that ballpark. My older brother had a St. Bernard dog. St. Bernard dogs are big. I mean, this was a friendly animal, friendly dog, but this was a big dog. Now our backyard, we didn't have a fence. We didn't have a fence. We didn't really have neighbors. We didn't have a fence. So to keep keep the dog, there was a there was a place we'd keep the dog on a leash. It's kind of a long chain, real light chain. And it was probably 15, maybe 18 foot long. And everywhere that dog went, everywhere that dog went, he'd drag that chain. And you could just see the outline, the parameter of that chain, how far the dog could go. It was kind of worn in the, st- the soil there. You could just see that area was just kind of worn down. And just beyond that, just beyond that, vegetation would grow, etc. But right there where the dog was, it wasn't because the dog was on a leash, was on a chain. And, and I used to love to have fun with my brother's dog when he was not watching. That old St. Bernard, his tongue hung out about a foot. Drool, slobber. It was a fun-loving dog. And I used to love to taunt that dog and have fun. So I would walk up to his dog with his tongue hanging out. And I would just take my hand. And I would just slap its tongue as hard as I could. Whack! And then I would start running. And that dog would come out. And the moment I passed that parameter, I would stop. And that dog was caught on that chain and couldn't get to me. And I, we, I just played this back and forth with the, with the dog all the time. Do you know what? Some of us were in between. 
Can I tell you, the enemy is getting to your family, your peace, your heart, your life. He's robbing because we're living in the in-between. Can I tell you, Jesus said a new life. And if we would get rid of the old man, we go beyond the parameter where the sinful life and the attitudes can get to us and we can rise above it. There is a newness, a greater, a better life that's found in Christ if we would follow him. Scripture said we're to be... We're to be in Christ, in Christ. And one way that that is signified and expressed in a very important way is water baptism. Let me talk to you about water baptism. In just a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team back on the platform, and they're going to lead us in a chorus. And in that chorus, in that chorus, there's some of us, we've been baptized in water. You remember the day. Maybe you were. You are a teenager. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. But in your life right now, you're still carrying the old man, the old self, the body of death. You were supposed to put that body of death and bury it in, in Jesus. And as the baptism represents death, burial, and coming up out of the water, resurrection. But you carried some of it with you. You're excusing things. You're saying God understands God allows. You can't find that in Scripture. You've Googled a verse here and a statement there and the pull of public opinion, but you've never gone to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to get permission for that. And we excuse stuff. We excuse stuff. And God's saying we need to be set free. And I'm going to ask you to go back to your water baptism moment and bury some stuff. Walk away from some stuff. Become a new person in Christ. Become the person God intended. Some of us, we came to faith in Christ. God, by His grace, has saved us. But we have never followed the Lord in water baptism. And I'm going to invite you to do that. This Wednesday and the following Wednesday, we're going to have water baptism. And I'm going to invite you to follow the Lord in water baptism. And when you go down, you're saying, Lord, I'm bearing. I'm putting behind some old stuff. And I'm going to resurrect I'm going to come alive. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a different person. And the significance of water baptism is this. Number one, it's obedience to Christ. Why do we get baptized in water? Because it's obedience to Christ. Do we baptize in water to save people for salvation? No. The water does not wash away sin. Why do we get baptized in water then, Pastor, if it doesn't wash away sin? Because Jesus said so. It's a command, a directive of the Lord. When I was a kid at home, sometimes my parents would tell me to clean this, do this, stop that, to go get this, to attend. They gave me a responsibility. They gave me a duty. And sometimes I didn't want to do it. And I would ask, but why? Why do I have to do that? Why, do I, why, why am I responsible for that? Can I tell you, here's what my parents never said. Oh, my son, I didn't realize that this invaded your personal space. <laughs> Please excuse me. Please excuse me because we want you to have free expression in everything. We want you to be self-actualized in every experience of life. So if this does not agree with who you are and does not please your inner person, please tell us. Let us know what we can do to make your life here better and, and we, will, we will follow the boundary. Can I tell you, my mom and dad never said that. I said, why? Mom and dad, 
they had this answer. But why, Mom? Why, Dad? Here is the answer. Because I said so. If I wanted to eat groceries at their table that night, wear clothes they bought and sleep in the bed that they provided, I did it because they said so. To be in good grace, to be in, to be in good standing with mom and dad, that's what I did. Here's what God is saying. Get baptized. Why? Because Jesus said so. You want to please God. You want to follow the Lord. You want to honor the Lord. We do it because he says so. Number two, because it publicly declares our faith. It publicly declares our faith. And this particular day, as today, in the Roman world, the ancient world, everybody believed in a God. There were Roman gods. There were Greek gods. There were all kinds of idols. Everybody had a God. So if you said, I believe in God, there was no unique thing about it. So here's what the New Testament says. Jesus said, be baptized. Why? Because no other faith, no other religion, no other faith baptized in water. And don't tell people you believe in God. Tell people this. I've been baptized in water. And the moment you say that, they say they're a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It was a public way to distinguish and declare your faith. And that's still today. You go to workplace. You just tell people, I believe in God. They're going to say, well, I do too. You know, I believe in the Hindu or I believe in this or I believe in that. I believe in spirituality. I don't believe that there's a God of a Bible or God of, no, I just believe that there's this force. And they'll begin to talk everything to you in generalities and in, 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 in vague concepts. But when you say, you know what? I've been baptized in water and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It lets people know who is your Lord and Savior. That's why we get baptized in water. Number three, the reason we baptize in water, it represents an outward step of an inward commitment. An outward step of an inward commitment. What does that mean? The act of water baptism doesn't bring salvation. It's an outward step. We baptize you in water but it represents an inward commitment to Jesus. Now that's common in our world today, to have an outward step of an inward commitment. For example, the national anthem plays. We put our hand over our heart. Why? It's, a, it's an act of devotion. It's an outward act. Why? And it's to show love and devotion to our country and those who have served and the price of freedom. It expresses that. That's why we do it. It's, it's just it's a, it's a moment of honor. When a bride walks down the center aisle, we instinctively stand. What are we doing? It's an outward show of honoring and respect for the inward love and devotion that the bride and groom come. When a judge walks into a courtroom, we stand up. Why? It's an outward display of an inward respect of justice and the rule of law. It's a way we respect things. We do this all the time. And when it comes to our commitment to Christ... Water baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment. It says, it, it's saying, I'm, I'm willing to do something and show and demonstrate that my old self, my old sinful ways 
are buried with him in baptism. Frequently in a baptism service, I, right before I baptize, I will hold the person's hand. I'll put my hand on their back and about to baptize them. I say, now what you're saying, you're saying right now, I'm going all in with God. I know you love Jesus. I know you're, I know you're going to heaven. But you're saying I'm going all in. It's a total commitment. And then I baptize them. Death, burial, come up. Resurrection. I'm a new person in Jesus. That's what water baptism is. And there's going to be a screen that's going to come up with a number. And we want you to prayerfully consider being baptized either this Wednesday or the following Wednesday during our service. If you will text two words, made new, made new, there's a way to register for water baptism. We would like you to register because if we fill up this Wednesday night, we're going to go to the following Wednesday. If we fill up the following Wednesday, we'll go to a third Wednesday. We want you to be baptized in water. We want you to register. So if you will text that, register. What do you bring? Change of clothes and a towel and be ready to say, it's total commitment to Jesus. Total commitment to Jesus. And for the rest of us, we've been baptized in water. But are we carrying the old body of death? Are we carrying habits, attitudes? Have we become like what we wanted God to set us free from? Are we saying, excusing, well, God just forgives, that's all right. And we're using that as an excuse to continue in a lifestyle or attitude, sin, that God says you're free from. If you've been set free from sin, then why do you carry it? That's what he's saying. And I'm going to ask you, in this chorus to re-reallocate and recommit in your heart what baptism meant when you were baptized that first time. I'm going to follow the Lord. So would you stand together with me? Worship team, come.